The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, eyes wide open, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Today on the program, I visit with Dr. Don Kramer, chairman of Noblest Health, trading on the TSX as NHC, up almost double since they began on this program in early January. Next, we'll hear from Greg Johnson, president of Wellgreen Platinum, trading as WGPLF on the OTCQX and WG on the TSX. Then I'll chat with Montreal-based radio talk show host and sex therapist Dr. Lori Petito, author of The Sex Bible for People Over 50. One of the things we'll discuss is how finances can affect one's relationship at home. And we'll finish up with producer Bob Lang on the importance of video production for any business or corporation looking to increase their public profile. Go to the website right now, ellismartinreport.com. Join me for an interview with Dr. Donald Kramer, the chairman of Noblest Health Corp., trading on the TSX under the symbol NHC.to. Noblest Health strategically partners with physicians in the development and management of ambulatory surgical centers, or ASCs, with the mission of providing superior medical care, increased patient satisfaction, and lower cost for health care delivery. Noblest, under its previous name North Star Healthcare, recently acquired Athos Health for $34 million. Athos, based in Dallas, focused on the marketing and delivery of specialized health care services in seven states. Dr. Kramer, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Ellis. Looking forward to working with you. If you don't mind, review your background with our audience. Ellis, I'm a medical doctor who believes that we're here to serve the needs of our patients. I've been fortunate to train at some of the most prestigious institutions in our country, Stanford and Harvard, and the medical care that's rendered at these very large medical centers is outstanding. But the patient experience has been so often institutionalized. And over the last 25 years or so that I've been in medical practice, I focused upon creating care models that offer patients the same level of sophistication and standards that we have at the prestigious university hospitals, but also are focused in offering our patients an experience that's really second to none. My own training is as an anesthesiologist or in Canada they call us anesthetists who care for patients with severe and chronic pain. I'm a chronic pain medicine specialist. Patients place a great deal of trust into physicians and certainly into the hands of myself and colleagues. That's why I've been so proud to work with the team at Nobilis because they absolutely share my commitment to our patients. What has been your vision for Nobilis moving forward? In addition to being an anesthesiologist, I've been a partner in a development team that's now developed over 40 surgical centers and surgical hospitals. And I've had a chance to see 
firsthand how technology has really moved our industry forward so that now surgery is much less invasive than it was 25 years ago. Scopes have largely replaced scalpels, so if you've ever had knee surgery or shoulder surgery, you know that those joint repairs are done through scopes and we really only open a joint if we're going to replace a joint. As a result, patients have quicker recovery times, better outcomes, and better healing. Now we're seeing the same technology allowing surgeons to operate on spines through small scopes rather than through large incisions. We're even taking colons out, believe it or not, through scopes. And in the area of spine surgery, we're now doing disc replacements through scopes. So if you mix that technologic development with the fact that there are simple surgical solutions for what have been chronic medical problems, such as obesity, the opportunities for Noblis to offer these solutions are enormous. So as I refer to chronic obesity as an issue for which our patients have largely struggled unsuccessfully to overcome, they can often be cured with a weight loss procedure that takes less than an hour. And our patients go home the same day. Many patients who suffer from chronic back pain or migraine headaches, two of the most common widespread and debilitating conditions, can frequently be cured by repairing a problem through a minimally invasive and relatively simple procedure. That must come as a relief potentially to many afflicted by these pain-related ailments. Think of it this way. Pain is always carried by a nerve up to our brain where that pain signal is recognized. Often that pain signal starts from something pressing on a nerve. It may be in the foot, it may be in the back, or in the case of headaches, the nerves in the scalp, sort of like a thorn sticking a nerve. And if you can remove the thorn, then the pain goes away. That is so much of what we do in these surgical procedures where we remove the offending thorn and the results are profound. We get tremendous relief of chronic pain with a simple procedure through a scope. Certainly that's contributed to the success of Noblest Surgical Centers. I imagine that the positive experience that your patients are having as a result has also spawned much of the growth in the business as well. Right. That's absolutely true. Nobilis is a successful company in a very successful industry. When I graduated medical school 34 years ago, only 15% of all the surgeries were done on an outpatient basis. That means patients going home on the same day as a procedure. Last year in the United States, more than 70% of all patients having surgery go home the same day. And in my own field of anesthesia, it's no longer necessary for someone to spend a night in the hospital to recover from their anesthetic. So in terms of the growth of the industry, it's been moved forward by the growth of technology and the simplicity of our procedures. But in Nobilis, the growth of our company has occurred largely because we've offered patients just a fantastic experience. Which, as you stated earlier in this interview, has always been the foundation of your initial goals. My motivation has always been to give my patients that great experience, something which I was unable to control when I provided care at the large general hospital. And that's why I have preferred the dedicated outpatient center or the small boutique surgical hospital, if you may. There are fewer administrative procedures for either myself or my patients. The cases never get bumped for emergencies. And superbug infections are very, very rare in the outpatient facility as compared to the general hospital. It's almost like the difference of flying on a private jet versus economy class on a big plane. My motivation has never changed, but the patient experience just seems to get better and better year after year at the dedicated outpatient facilities. What are your responsibilities specifically with regard to being chairman of Nobilis? Well, beyond the oversight and fiduciary responsibilities that are inherent for any company, 
company that publicly trades their stock. My goal is to help the management and the execution of their strategic plan. In the case of Nobilis, I'm colored by my roots as an anesthesiologist, whereby my job has always been to be best supporting actor to our surgeons and to their patients. I felt that if I can do that well in a management organization, then we would continue to enjoy our reputation among our peers as the preferred hospitals and surgical centers for our surgeons and for their patients. The model which we have adopted over the years has been heavy in marketing, which quite honestly is fascinating to me. There's no doubt that healthcare is an industry which is rapidly transforming. We're seeing a rapid move to consumerism, whereby our patients are deciding for themselves which doctors they want to see and the care that they want to receive. Patients are increasingly educated about their medical conditions, and they're wanting to be treated as partners in making decisions. Often when a patient sees me, they may have researched out their condition on the Internet or through support groups that are in the Internet, and they know more about the issues of their conditions than I had seen 10 or 15 years ago. That is the noblest view towards marketing. We're trying to help our consumers or our patients develop an awareness of their choices, and we do that by providing them with the latest data and information, and hopefully that builds a relationship of trust, and when they're ready to seek care, or at least a second opinion, that they look to a noblest doctor. In the case of the noblest branded programs, such as our North American Spine or Migraine Treatment Centers, we're told that the patient experience and the comprehensive nature of our care far exceeds what's offered anywhere else. Of that, I'm very, very proud. So, for example, the average number of contacts that a patient may have with our patient educators, or we call them patient coordinators, is typically more than 10 discussions prior to coming into the office. Most physicians' offices are not set up to offer patients that type of portal of interface, that level of education and insight in helping patients decide what choices they want to make for their own care. So you've been basically changing the way medicine is being practiced in this arena. That's a question of our core mission and values, of which I'm very proud, which is that we are largely educators in helping our patients make decisions for themselves. How do you maintain a high quality of service as Noblest grows? As the physician on the leadership team, that's my personal responsibility. We need to be sure that we continue to deliver on the promise of our brand, and we've embedded a very patient-centric view of life in every one of our employees in our organization. Our leaders have to be brand ambassadors, and we've created an environment that's allowed us to attract top surgeons. For example, our orthopedic surgeons are the surgeons for many of the major league sport teams. Many of our surgeons work as instructors at the medical schools, and they've allowed us to attract some of their top graduates practice at the noblest facilities. We need our surgeons to act as champions in helping us recruit the other surgeons and physicians that would make them proud. That's been our winning formula. Dr. Kramer, it's been a pleasure to have been able to speak with you today. Thanks so much for joining me on the program. You're so kind. Thank you for allowing me. I've been chatting with Dr. Donald Kramer, chairman of Noblest Health, trading on the TSX under the symbol NHC. Type in NHC. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the Ellis Martin Report in its entirety on iTunes. 
Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. If you listen to all of them, your mind will be saturated with money juice. I'm Ellis Martin. In this segment, I'll be speaking with Greg Johnson, the president and CEO of Wellgreen Platinum, trading in the U.S. under the ticker symbol WGPLF. Wellgreen Platinum is a North American mining, exploration, and development company focused on the active advancement of its 100% owned Wellgreen PGM nickel copper project and taking it toward production. Located in the Yukon, the Wellgreen project is one of the largest undeveloped PGM or Platinum Group metals deposits outside of South Africa and Russia. Greg, welcome to the program. Great to be back. You have some particularly exciting news that I'd like to share with our audience. Wellgreen just released a PEA, a Positive Independent Preliminary Economic Assessment, on the Wellgreen PGM Nickel Project. It states that when you go into production, the company will generate approximately 209,000 ounces of platinum, palladium, and gold, along with 73 million pounds of nickel and 55 million pounds of copper for the first 16 years of operation. How much cash flow will that bring into the company? To put that in context, if you're producing over 200,000 ounces of platinum, platinum, and gold, that makes you like number two in comparison with, uh, say, Stillwater in Montana outside of South Africa or Russia. So it's a very significant level of platinum group metal production. And on a nickel basis, you'd be a fairly significant producer of nickel as well. Combine that all together at kind of current prices, and you're looking at something along the lines of $300 million a year in operating cash flow over those 16 years. On top of that, believe it or not, that's only mining about 30% of our current resource. And so when you bring in the other 70%, which we've laid out as an opportunity in our study we've just published, that adds another 30 years of mine life, so stretching the life out to over 50 years of operation at those kind of production levels. With this compelling news just released, what is your next step with regard to Wellgreen? Well, this study is really the culmination of two years of work. We've raised close to $40 million over the last two years. The money has gone into the ground for drilling, for engineering, for metallurgical testing. And so this really is a substantive update and very detailed study project and, and lays out that it's, it's quite robust uh, in comparison with those similar projects. You know, our rates of return on this are in the mid-20s and, and even low 30s, depending on your metal price deck that you use. And so this project, it really stands out. And we've got a number of existing shareholder investors that have approached us to continue to assist the company to move forward. We've got new mining-focused large groups, uh, including you know some of the producers and smelting groups that are expressing interest in helping to take the project to the next level. With this PEA and with the fact that we ended the year with almost $10.5 million in cash, we're in great shape to launch into the pre-feasibility level of study, refining these studies that we've just put out, and being able to move towards de-risking the project and demonstrating its potential future cash flow. Is this potentially one of the largest stories in the Yukon, if not North America? Well, the, the project, as is currently envisioned, starts out at 25,000 tons per day, which is not a huge operation, but it is a good-sized mine, and at the expansion phase in year five and six, it would go to about 50,000 tons per day. So it would become, at that stage, one of the larger operations in the region. There's several that are bigger, but this would be quite sizable. And in terms of platinum group metals and nickel specifically, it would be one of the biggest outside of the high political risk areas of, of South Africa.
America and Russia. Now, the cost of production is considerably less than those other sensitive political risk jurisdictions that you just referred to, right? Yeah, most of the world's platinum and palladium is produced from deep underground mines in either South Africa or Russia. Combined, they're about 90% of the world's production. And those metals are used for catalytic converters is the number one use, but other industrial uses, investment value, and jewelry. But the catalytic converter market is really the biggest market. With such a heavy concentration of those metals being produced in those high political risk jurisdictions, project like Wellgreen really stands out. This is something that I think really industry is going to be looking for sources of new metal with the excellent infrastructure that we have, the paved highway and the existing ports to the south of the project. We're really poised to be able to advance this project and see steady interest from people in terms of financing and advancing the project. So you've had conversations with both large producers and potential offtake candidates as well. Yeah, we're already seeing very significant interest in terms of both groups that might want to purchase the concentrate product where the metals are are shipped for smelting, as well as larger producers that are either focused in the base metal business or the base metal and PGM or just on the PGM side of things. This stage, that's pretty encouraging to see that level of interest in the company. If an entity were to come along and look at you as a takeout candidate, how would you respond to that? Well, it's a bit early for us to be looking at that. I mean, on a valuation basis right now, we are trading at a very attractive valuation from an investor's point of view, but we're nowhere near the ultimate potential valuation that we could see. On an enterprise value per ounce today, the precious metal producers are trading at about $200 an ounce on the ground. The advanced development stage companies are trading at around $50 per ounce of measured and indicated resource. That's your highest confidence resource. And the early development stage are averaging around 20 dollars per ounce. Well, green today is trading at around $4 an ounce if you don't include value for our base metals, nickel and, and copper. And if you include value for those, we're trading around $2 an ounce. So the opportunity for capital appreciation as we advance the project, de-risk it through the next couple of stages is quite significant compared to those average market valuations that you see for other comparable companies today. I'm sure that you as the CEO of Wellgreen feel that your company's share price is potentially undervalued considering everything that we've discussed over the past few weeks. Why do you believe that's the case? If you take a look at these valuations, they reflect the prevailing kind of sentiment in the metals market. They also reflect the stage of development and risk that you see for your various projects. Now, based on the fact that we've just completed this major economic study and we're moving into a pre-feasibility, if we look at the average valuations for companies at pre-feasibility being closer to $50 per measured indicated ounce, then we are substantially undervalued by that metric. I think if you look at the economics that are published in this PEA update and you apply those on kind of a a price to net asset value or or some other future cash flow metric, I think you could argue that the shares are very attractively valued from an investor's point of view in that there's excellent potential to see those values increase over time. Greg, what do you see going forth in the coming year with regard to news flow for the Wellgreen project? Well, the company ended the year with $10.5 million in cash, so we're in an excellent position to launch into the next round of studies. We're looking to probably start off our first phase of activity in the spring on the project. There should be a good flow of news, both from drilling, engineering, metallurgical testing. And we think that we're cautiously optimistic that the overall tone of the market for the metals complex is looking better than it has in a while. And that once we start to see investor interest returning to a sector that's gone through a three- to four-year bear market, that could be very, very attractive for investors to look at.
high-quality names that are de-risking and in safe political jurisdictions like a Walgreens Platinum. Greg, again, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. I look forward to more updates in the near future. Thanks for having us. We look forward to updating you again soon. I've been speaking with Greg Johnson, the president and CEO of Wellgreen Platinum, trading on the TSX under the symbol WG and on the OTCQX as WGPLF. That's WGPLF. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com. Contact our sponsor companies directly. They're on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Join me now for an interview with Dr. Lori Batito, author of The Sex Bible for People Over 50. Dr. Lori is a clinical psychologist with a specialty in sex therapy and has been a practicing psychotherapist for the last 26 years. For the last 24 of those years, she's been heard on radio and seen on television, dispensing sex and relationship advice. She's a regular contributor to various magazines, newspapers, and television shows. She is presently heard nightly in Montreal, Canada on radio station CJAD 800 on the AM dial. Her show Passion has been on the air for over 15 years and has always been number one in its time slot. Dr. Lori, welcome to the program. So nice to have you with us today. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, just to review a little bit, you are the president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec, amongst your other duties. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, I have many duties. Uh, That's one of my volunteer duties. And basically, the Sexual Health Network used to be Planned Parenthood of Montreal. We revamped about 10 years ago or so. We rebranded in another name. And we advocate for sex education in schools. We fundraise. We go into the schools to teach sex education. And we offer our services for free. So we fundraise so we can pay for the educators. So it's more difficult for the schools to actually say no to us, right? If we say, well, it's free. Take it. (laughs) Well, this is very interesting because it leads me into one of the questions that I have prepared to ask you in this interview today. I'm a man of a certain age, which means I'm somewhere in between 50 and 60 and approaching 60, actually this year and none of us in my generation none of us had any sort of legitimate instruction with regard to sex education when we were growing up so right we only learned how to have sex by trial and error most <laughs> i guess that, <laughs> exactly. that's the way that's the way it is with most people trial and but error you know. and that can really it can almost ruin a lifetime if you don't get some legitimate instruction which uh, i had to figure okay. things out on my own with a little help over the years which leads me to your book the sex bible for people over 50, which is the boomer generation. I recognize that guy on the cover. I don't know who he is, but he's a very, he's a very <laughs> handsome guy. <laughs> very handsome. And he looks very good for his age. <laughs> for his age, yeah. I, I Everybody get asked me, I'm you sorry? Know, hey, is that guy really over 50? I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I hear that a lot. Oh, my God, that wasn't a modest statement. Um <laughs> The the fact of the matter is, I think actually, I think if, if, if I can be candid, and I guess I can on my own show, it's because I feel I'm living a, a healthy life in that arena. It, it keeps me young because I'm actually engaging uh, physically from time to time. And I think that has a, a lot to do with youthful vitality in addition to probably yes. positive thinking. So let's talk about the motivation for you writing this book. Why did you do it? Well, exactly for the same reasons you just said. We don't have enough sex education, but even for us grown-ups, even the older grown-ups. And 
as a clinician, as a clinical psychologist and a, a sex therapist, I get a lot of people walking through my office with the same types of questions and they don't have that information. They Changes are happening to them and they're kind of freaking out, like thinking, what's going on? I'm not normal and how come I can't get it up anymore or how come it takes me so long? And the women are complaining, it's painful, I gave up sex. And all of these tells me that nobody's talking about the changes in aging. And that was needed, absolutely needed. And the proof is in the pudding because the the book has done really, really well in second printing already. And so I know there's a need, definitely. And as you know, I have a, a nightly radio program and I've been doing radio for the last 16 years. And the questions I get night after night also very much related to changes as we age. So it was just a natural progression for me to write the book and having turned 50 myself. What is the number one complaint about men that women are voicing to you? That women are voicing, that mm-hmm. they don't, that men don't understand that there's a difference between their sexual desire and their partner's sexual desire, that they just don't get it. They don't get that they're not the same and they don't understand that if they don't want to have sex, it's not because they don't want their partner. It's really because they're either exhausted or they're not getting other needs met and they don't understand that the pressure, they get a lot of pressure from their partners and what they complain about most is that doesn't he get that that pressure only pushes me away and that doesn't bring me any closer. So that's one thing. Another one is we come to the conclusion that many women, unfortunately, end up treating their husbands or their partners like kids. Or they look at them as if, oh, one more kid in the house, right? So obviously there's, you know, cancels each other out. You, you cannot be attracted to somebody you perceive as your child. But isn't that you true? Know? Don't men behave as kids in, in many relationships and many marriages? Aren't, aren't they uh, substituting, aren't they substituting women as a mother substitute, so to speak? It, well, if they are, they're not, it's not healthy. But that's, don't not, you? that's not what women want. You know, it's so interesting because often in my practice, I'll get a couple that comes in. It just happened. It happens almost daily where the the partner, the often it's the male, but says, you know, we need to go see a, a sex therapist because there's something wrong with you. You're not interested in sex and I want sex and you're not interested. So we better fix you. And they come into my office and he's so hoping I give her some kind of pill or magic solution. And you know what often happens when I do the evaluation, I figure out what her life is all about and I look at the fact that she is interested in sex. She is not interested in sex with him, not necessarily with anybody else. But when I turn to him and I say things like, you know, your wife is interested in sex, just not with you and their mouth drops. And now we get to the real problem. Why not with you? What's going on? How are you treating her in the home? You know, is she complaining over and over again about the same things, that you're not helping her enough, that you pressure her, that you do this, that, or the other? So it's not that she's not interested. She just is pushing him away. Wouldn't you say that that's an issue across the board that is genderless? You can be a man or a woman and still have the same issue. It's It's been my contention that Viagra may not be necessarily the option for people our age. It would be a variety. No, I don't think it's the qu- a question of variety. Look, for some people, it's true. You can't compete with a new. A new shiny object is a lot more exciting than your dull object you've known. Not that I want to objectify, but I'm trying to make a parallel here. Obviously, there's always something more exciting. But 
if you make a, a choice to be monogamous with somebody, and that's entirely up to whatever couple, right? You can choose to be open. You can choose to be whatever you want. No judgment there. But if you choose monogamy, that means you're choosing to be with that one person. So how do you make it so that it's fun with that one person, right? And it just means getting rid of all the other crap that's around that impedes good sexuality between you. What if you just decide to get rid of the crap, whatever it is, and just read your book, The Sex Bible for People Over 50, and just, you know, I don't like this about you, you don't like this about me, we forget about all that, and just read the book. Now, there have been instances, and I've been made aware of one or two of them here and there, where couples that have been married, let's say for 30 years or more, have read the book, put away their issues, and just have had a great time, and they're closer than ever. It can be as I simple am- as that. Yes, it can. That's the thing. It, it doesn't have to be so complicated. And if we come to accept each other as is, and we read the book with an open mind, because the book covers all of this. It covers everything to why people don't feel like it, what the problem might be, what are some of the issues to look at. It goes through when you actually need help. But this book can avoid a lot of that if you read it and you still need help, then okay, then seek the help of a therapist. But I have found this too, that often clients will come in and say, you know what, go read the book and then call me. Like take all of this under advisement first because it's very directive. It tells you the problem, it tells you how to fix it. And it gives you tools to be able to do this as a couple. And what I have found, Ellis, is that people are reading it as a couple, which is kind of fun. And that's in part, large part, because of the pictures. And the pictures are very, very tasteful, I notice. They're suggestive. And, of course, there's quite a bit of instruction related to the photographs. And the comments I've heard from readers of your book is exactly what you've said. It's better done when read together. And there's a bit of excitement and enticement that goes along. Sex is really, really exciting. And we're never really exposed to that concept as an acceptance in our culture while we've grown up. And for some places, worse than others, you know, some of us I think I'm fortunate to have grown up in Montreal, which is a bit more liberal, I would say, right? And then when I visit other places, I realize how sex negative so many places are. It's not even cultural, but from state to state or from different religions, what have you. So these are all impediments, really, to healthy sexuality. Well, you mentioned religion. I was thinking about that. In the context of religion, whatever your religion is, if you're leading monogamous life and within your faith, this book is still Still. exceedingly helpful in those arenas. Yes, absolutely. You take what you want and you leave what you want behind. This book tells you all your options, including options that may not fit for you. For example, there are parts in there about bondage and, you know, light bondage and kinky stuff. There's stuff in there about swinging alternative lifestyles. These are all options that none of them are, I didn't write anything in there to say you should do this. It's more about here are all the options that people have done, talked about, uh, have said help them. You get to choose what works for you and what fits with your values. So this is not necessarily a book about any particular form of sex that you've mentioned. It just covers everything. That's why it's called the Bible. <laughs> you know, it, it covers everything in a very concise manner. So we do cover everything from why sex is really healthy for you. So all the physical health benefits, the psychological health benefits to it. We talk about all the potential problems that arise as we age and how to adapt to it, how to look at sexuality with a much wider view. It's not just about 
penis and vagina. It really is so much more than that. And so it, it really covers all of these different areas. And I, I think it's pretty comprehensive. I mean, it, it required a lot of research, and I'm very happy with it. The photographs in the book, they really do tell a story. And it, it, and I think uh, in the society, we're very visually driven. The photos appear to me to be, you know, there's a lot of happiness that's portrayed and just people having a good time. And it's conveyed through the photographs. And I think that would lead into you wanting to know how that happens. Let's talk about happiness and love and intention related to sex. Why is it important just not to get it down mechanically, but to make that connection between partners? Well, that's the thing. And I think as we get older, that connection is even more of a requirement. And it's not just a requirement, but people look for more connection and meaning, right? As we get older, we start to really maybe take stock of our lives and and we we want that meaning we look for that meaning in our lives so when we have somebody to share it with and when the connection and the sex has meaning it just makes it that much better now that may be just my opinion and my view and my values coming through but i really and truly believe this and the people who come see me also say that and, and I notice that as they get older for example men tend to want more connection and more intimacy as they get older than when they were younger part of your job I, w- I would imagine is to re- redirect that attention and intimacy to the partner that you're with correct well generally if that's what they're looking for I do work with couples and partners who are polyamorous or live in open marriages which is another whole area right and brings its own sometimes issues sometimes not but yeah if I'm, I'm just dealing with essentially monogamous couples that's mostly what we're talking about that is mostly what we're talking about and I'll ask you just briefly here to respond to this question about sure. polyamorous relationships and the swinger lifestyle in general does that in your opinion work I mean I'm, I imagine it works with the people that are involved in it but overall is it healthy well that's not a judgment I'm going to make and honestly the couples I have met who live the lifestyle who spend say vacations or they go to specific resorts where there's much more openness and kind of free love if you will those couples they have something interesting about them and what I've noticed is they are extremely open and communicative nothing is ever hidden there are no secrets it's complete transparency the love and intimacy is shared between the two of them but the sex and the pleasure is shared with others and they get excited by watching their partner being excited so it's not about someone else touching their partner but it's a focus still is on the partner and the partner's pleasure. Listen, this is so not for everybody. Most of us, I think, when we think about our partners being with somebody else, doesn't make us feel too good, or even picturing ourselves in casual relationships may also not feel so good. But for a segment of the population, this works for them. And many come to this later in life, which I also found quite interesting. So without making a judgment, there are people that are enjoying this lifestyle and are having a very healthy life, at least as far as they're concerned, Absolutely. without judgment. That's right. And they've got children and they engage in this. It's their private part. Their colleagues don't know about it. Their families don't generally know about this. It's what happens in the bedroom, stays in the bedroom, no matter how many people are in the bedroom kind of thing. And for them, it works. In order for it to work, it requires extremely good communication skills. 
and also great negotiating skills. So a lot of negotiation, compromise, understanding. If you're remotely jealous, forget it. This is not the place for you. You should not be engaging in the swinging lifestyle. As much as it's titillating and, and, and potentially it excites you to think about having sex with other people, if you have even a small bit of jealousy in you, that isn't going to work. I can tell you a story of this couple that came to see me. The husband was pressuring, pressuring, pressuring his wife to have an open relationship. He wanted to have variety. Finally, she says, okay, fine, we'll have variety. So she's the one, is the, she's the first one to, to have a new partner, all right? He flips out. He flips out. He did not realize. He was only thinking from his point of view. Gee, it'll be fun when I have a new partner. What he hadn't counted on is, how am I going to feel when she's with somebody else? And so he introduces her to the lifestyle. So she, you know, he, she, he kind of pushed her into it. She does it. Now she's really liking this multiple partner thing. And he's freaking out. And she's saying, well, too bad. You open that door. You can't just take it back because now you're uncomfortable. Now I like it. And so, of course, there's issues with them now. So it's truly not for everybody, and it's truly not for anyone who has a jealous bone in, in their body. And I would, right. I would venture to say that many people do. Most people do. That's right. And be careful what you wish for is the, uh, <laughs> the bottom line with that one. The book certainly does teach everybody new tricks. And I use that word tricks with loving, soft quotation marks around it. Essentially, how do you teach an old dog new tricks if they're just locked into one way of having sex for years and years and years. Well, hopefully if they open the book, they're open to trying new things. And that's what I have found is that the older we get, the more comfortable we start to get with our own selves. And we are actually more open to trying new things. So I find when I look around and I look at older people, they are way more open to talking about sexuality than younger people believe it or not and so I think that just opening the book is the first step to saying yeah we can try what's in here and it's easier when it comes from outside of ourselves right because the book says to do it so it's not I say to do it the book says to do it so it's a little bit easier when it's a, a third party who kind of makes that suggestion it's easier to actually listen to a radio friend like, like we are. We're both on the radio, and, and most of our audience doesn't know us personally or intimately. So uh, they're more likely to listen to what we say as opposed to a friend or a relative. Yes, and that happens, in, of course, in therapy all the time. You know, A couple will come in, and I say something, and the partner says, See, I've told you that forever. I've been telling you the same thing. And it's like, well, yeah, but you've been telling him the same thing. It has to come from someone else for him to hear it. Sometimes that's just the way it is, him or her. Since this indeed has been a financially oriented program for quite some time, and some of our listeners may be asking the question, what does any of this have to do with money or finance? Let me ask you this. What do finances or financial troubles have to do with a healthy sexual relationship between couples? Well, you know, stress is the biggest killer of sexual desires. So the main stressors that couples have involve money children, job-related things, and of course, sex becomes a stressor as well, so especially if there's frustration. But financial issues are a great source of strain 
for couples. It also builds resentment in couples. So when you have resentment, say one partner feels that the other one isn't making enough or is upset because a business has gone downhill or bad decisions were made or they're too stingy or they're cheap or whatever it is, all of these will affect your desire to have sex with them from the other person, right? So if you're feeling resentment at your partner because of some financial issues that you have, that is certainly going to have an impact on your sex life and your relationship. So whenever I see couples that come in with a sex issue, to me, that's a symptom. So I look for the underlying reason. And I have had plenty of times when... Just even today, I had a a woman who is not interested in sex at all. And part of it, and she says, the first time it all went downhill for me was when my husband made some really bad business decisions that caused them to have to leave a country because people were coming after him financially. And the resentment went through the roof for her because she left everything behind, her entire family, to come to a new country where she knew nobody. And she's completely isolated. And she is not interested. She's mad at him. She's hurt and she's angry. An angry, mad person doesn't want to have sex. So there's a, a perfect example of how that got in the way. I understand, but how do you fix that? And second part of this question, if you're not having a a healthy relationship physically with your partner, doesn't that adversely affect your business as well? I don't know about that. I think that that may be an excuse used by some. (laughs) Sorry to say, I'm not sure I agree with that. You know, if I'm not getting enough sex and I can't focus on work and therefore you better give me enough sex so I can make money. That wouldn't fly in my face. Oh, of course. That's, that sounds awful. And, and, and forgive me for making it sound that way. That sounds absolutely awful. But isn't it true if you're not having a healthy relationship at home sexually, and you shouldn't bring this up with your partner, that it could continue to adversely affect your financial position? But it's the relationship. It's not the sex. So if you're not having a good relationship at home, it usually implies that the sex is not going to be there or it's not going to be good or somebody is going to be frustrated so the whole thing is what is the underlying reason for the lack of sex obviously you lack sex you get angry you get frustrated with your partner you get irritable yes it affects every area of your life but it's not just the person who is not getting it's also the other person who may not be willing to engage because of their needs not being met. So all around, it's not a good situation. So that's why marriage counseling is, it can be a lifesaver. Well, it would seem like the couple that you referenced that had to leave the country that uh, the wife is just, for lack of a better term, just too pissed off to turn things around and and perhaps Mm -hmm. rightly so. So what is the answer in a potential situation like that? Well, my answer to her was you made the choice to follow him here. And it's now time for you to start taking care of of you, right? Instead of always blaming the other person, start making changes for yourself. So you can't change your partner, but you can change you. And with this particular woman, it's about learning her own boundaries and knowing what she wants and being able to respect herself in all of this. I don't know if the relationship will survive, 
I think in this case, she happened to be married to a narcissistic guy who really only cares about himself. But we'll see. We'll see as she puts her boundaries down and starts to really say, no, I I don't want to be treated this way or I need you to do a whole lot more if you want me to be open sexually, what ends up happening. I mean, unfortunately, in this case, he ended up cheating on her anyway and going elsewhere. But that's not her fault. He went elsewhere. He blames her. You know, you're not giving me sex. I had to go elsewhere. Well, that's a choice you make. And rather than fix what's wrong, to me, that's not an answer. So there's quite a bit of marriage counseling that's involved with your therapy in some cases, correct? Oh, yes. That's what I do mostly is the marriage counseling. People come in for sex therapy thinking that I'll fix the sex problem. But in actuality, it has to go to marriage counseling first. I've got to figure out what's going on in that couple before, you know. Dr. Lori, when you meet with couples, do you do that exclusively in Montreal or do you have Skype conferences as well? Well, I've just started doing Skype conferences. I'm, I am I just started. I have somebody in Bali who, who reached out to me and it's like, yes, I'm, I started doing that. So I think that's the wave of the future, even in therapy, as much as it's not what I prefer. I really prefer to be in front of somebody with everything that that entails in terms of facial expressions and everything else. But Skype is the next best thing. I'm sure your book has made quite a difference in untold lives out there in the over 50 universe among those that have read your book. There's one that says it starts off with well if you haven't had sex in a very long time this is how you begin that's the problem for a lot of people is they don't know how they don't know how to begin and so when they hear look it's okay it's going to be awkward it's okay it's not going to feel normal it's okay and when they realize that it's okay it really gives them permission so the feedback overall must be indeed very good then the feedback has been great i do have to tell you that the feedback has been great and what i love is that men are reading the book that to me in itself is the biggest feat because men don't read self-help books they just don't that's not their thing so when the pictures are in it the men are buying the book like i go to book signings the men are picking up the book and that's refreshing tell our audience about your radio show you mentioned it's on nightly in montreal can our audience uh, stream it around the world Oh, yes. I have listeners from around the world. In fact, you can live stream it. So the website is uh, cjad.com. That's cjad.com. And it's on at 10 o'clock Eastern time. It's Monday to Friday. Now, this is probably the longest running show in that time slot on that radio station, which is the number one talk radio station in Montreal. It also goes to the border states, to Vermont and to uh, upstate New York, etc., And it's a show solely on sex and relationships, and I've been doing it. We're celebrating our Sweet 16 this year, so it's a lot of fun. I love connecting to all our listeners from and from around the world. We get texts even and phone calls from around the world during the show. It's live, so it's always the the lines are always open, and I answer questions or we have different themes every night, and it's been great. It's a lot of fun, and I love doing it. And the best way to contact you is actually through your website, drlaurie.com? That is the best way, D-R, and then my name, L-A-U-R-I-E.com, would be a way to get in touch with me, and you'll have information about the book there. My book is available everywhere in all bookstores and and also on Amazon and Kindle and all of that. So yeah, I'm easy to find, not hard to find. I've been speaking with Dr. Lori Batito. The book is The Sex Bible for People Over 50, The Complete Guide to Sexual Love for Mature Couples. Dr. Lori, thanks so much for joining me today on the Ellis Martin Report. Thank you so much, Ellis. Appreciate it. Go to Dr. Lori's website, drlaurie.com. That's D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com. I'm Ellis Martin, and I may or may not be the male model.
in the book. Join me now with a segment with a very, very dear and old friend of mine. His name is Bob Lang. He's a producer, director, and proprietor of the website spiritedusa.com. Spirited USA is a full-service audio and video production company, and we're going to talk about business video production with Bob Lang today. Now, let me give you some history on Bob. Bob Lang enjoyed production management success. During his many years at Honeywell Incorporated, Mr. Lang turned the production department into an award-winning enterprise, winning their first of over 15 Tele Awards and Communicator Awards beginning shortly after his arrival there in 1995, Lang produced hundreds of TV and radio ads for the GMC Truck National Agency, which was called at the time Competitive Edge. He has also <laughs> produced internationally successful music videos, and he has won a regional Addy. Bob studied under the mentorship of many industry leaders in teleproduction, including voting members of the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Mr. Lang is listed in the Who's Who in Media and Communications. During his on-air career, Lang hosted a program based in Washington, D.C. at ABC Radio, one of America's largest and most well-known broadcast companies. Bob understands the constant change of technology and its design methodologies for customers who are striving to do better in their use of various media. His ideas and his leadership skills are admired by his clientele, and his work ethic is directed at continuous improvement through team building. We're here to talk about the production of business videos, Bob, Yeah, and you do a very good job of that. Our company has worked on at least one video with you. So we have two tele awards for stuff we've done in the not-too-distant past, as a matter of fact. So kudos to you as a producer and as a production designer. I'd like to talk a little bit about how did we get to this situation where we are today, where businesses really, really need to use video, either in a minimalistic way or in a large way. Uh, when we were kids in school, it was film strips. Those were cool, though. I mean, you'd have your regular curriculum, and then all of a sudden, the teacher would wheel out the film strip. He's like, oh, we're going to see film strip. And that went to slideshows, and then somebody invented PowerPoint, and the world changed, because now you could project graphics and charts and put type on the wall and stand in front of people, and you were really, really incredible. But, man, that stuff won't get you a, a donut and a coffee today. It's just... Uh, a whole different world now in business video than, than back then, you know. It marched on to VHS presentations with a projector. That was pretty advanced. If you were a business of means, you hired a production crew to come out to your business and they made a video and then you ran off and made 15,000 VHS copies that they handed out to customers or sent to other business people. And then it started to grow in the software side. Computers started to finally come of age to where they could handle a few complex operations and authorware and director came out. We started to have the beginnings of interactivity. And after that, the creativity started to come into business video. So time is marching on and things are still evolving as we have Dreamweaver today to uh, create software packages, either interactive DVDs or websites that interact with you that provide information, whether it's promotional or educational. And now in the corporate education arena, Adobe Captivate is making entire courses that integrate pictures, graphics, video, all kinds of things. And then there's one more step, and we'll talk about knowledge preservation and process capture in a little bit. That's kind of the history of how we got from film strips to now in business video. Any viable business, especially with an online presence, and any viable business these days does have an online presence. You can't not have a business and not have a website 
and they're not that difficult to produce. I mean, some are and some aren't. Sure. Don't you think? Sure. We do them all the time. Let's explain to our listening audience, especially those people with businesses that don't have a video, the process for getting a video and getting a presence that they can have on the web or they can use in a sales presentation or that their clients can use. And it takes even more analysis to find out exactly what kind of video you want and where you're going to apply it. It depends on the business. And I'm sure in your listening audience, you have everyone from small at-home self-employed businesses to shops in strip malls to medium-sized $5 million, $20 million a year companies to big CFOs and CEOs. And they all have different ways of approaching business video, and they all have different needs and different ways in. You don't have to shoot the Ten Commandments with a cast of thousands, laser aerial shots, helicopters exploding to get your point across. It takes analysis of your business first. If you're a mom-and-pop shop, you need a website just so people can find you. You may want to dip a little further and go into a social media presence. If you're a medium-sized company, a corporation, I should say, a small corporation, for sure you're going to have more than just a simple website. Your website's going to dive into your processes, your people, the things that you have accomplished in the past and how you can assist people in the future. And that may be several videos. That may be a combination of videos. And uh, of course, you'll, you'll have a little more social presence there with Twitter account, Facebook page, and start to develop products that are going to address your specific customer arena, as well as the advantages of your particular corporation. It all begins with the business analysis. So let's say it's it's a mom and pop, okay? There are things that you can do with your own camera, just going online to YouTube and picking up a few tips, getting yourself either a local videographer to cut you something together or send something to us. We'll be glad to help you out on a very minimal budget. If you're a little bigger company, you're probably going to want to sit down and break down the project, starting with an analysis of what the message is and how we want to deliver it. And then that pre-production meeting turns into a script. The script turns into pre-production, which is the majority of the work, because at that point you're arranging your actors and your locations and making sure that the script says what your corporation needs it to say. Then it becomes, how is that video going to be applied? Is it going to be applied as a one-time event, as a process capture as a promotion, as a pitch for a a new product. All that analysis has to happen up at the front end. Once that's complete, you begin the real pre-production process of getting boots on the ground, as they would say, and starting to put your ducks in a row to the production point. Once it's produced, then it becomes an editorial matter to make it look like the voice of your corporation, like the face of your corporation, so that all these things are unified. You've spent a lot of money to create an image on your stationery, your business cards, your building, your lobby, all that got to come together and be unified with what you're putting out on the web, what you're putting on social media, and even into what you're putting into your training products and what you're putting into your promotional piece. Once that business analysis is done, now we sit down and start writing that script. And that's a team effort that comes not just from a producer standpoint, it comes to analysis with the corporation and then also applying the right amount of teleproduction tools to see it successfully through. So when somebody comes to you, Bob, what part of that process are you involved in? All of it? Can a client just come to you and say, Bob, 
we want to do something. We're not sure of what we want to do yet. Can you help us flesh it out and put it together and find out what our needs are? In some cases, I am a producer. In some cases, I'm a director. Some cases, I can be editor. And when I approach a small company, I'm interested in seeing that they use their precious few dollars the most efficiently and get the most out of it. When we deal with a corporation, there's a lot more analysis that goes into it. So I become helpful on the producing side, but also on the analysis side and the script writing side. And then at the very end to make sure that we've done what we set out to do, the completion or the finish. There's a lot of different roles that I play as we go through the process. I've been speaking with my good buddy, friend and producer, Bob Lang. His website is Spirit spiritedusa.com. So if you would like a fantastic video for your business, whether it's small or large, do contact Bob at spiritedusa.com. Bob, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thanks, Ellis. It's been a lot of fun. You can hear the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com, or download the entire Ellis Mart Report on iTunes. What? It's over. No, it can't be true. What will I do? What will I say? What? Oh, oh, this. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Then they run right back to work and get jiggy with getting busy. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. For Ellis Martin, this is Cool Voice Guy. Ciao, babies. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.